<clears throat> so, this is Daniel Bayon with Behind the Story Podcast on Anchor.fm. Um, I recently imported this on launchpaddm.com. So, even though you can listen to this on Anchor, I would really, um, like it if y'all could download it on, uh, download this episode and the rest of them on LaunchpadDM. Um... People that may be wondering why I'm recording on a well, I'm using Anchor to produce to download episodes on and to publish them is because of two reasons. Number one, I like to do more than one video at a time, and Anchor is the only way I can do that. Uh, do let's say that let's say that I um one let's say I have only a certain amount of time to talk about one topic and it's according to the timeline I'm in or it's according to the month I'm in then I'd be able to record um for instance, I was talking about the best of the war games from the WWE produced DVD that Dusty Rhodes hosted. Well, after talking about the recent match in the DVD, I can't really talk about it again. So I'm going to continue talking about something I should have I should have finished back in November, and I'm sorry about that. Um. I hope it's here somewhere. If not, uh, just go to where I think, continue watching it, and it's right here. Um, I remember talking about Survivor Series 1997. Yeah, right here. I usually don't have the, um, it on. I usually don't have the audio on because a lot of times it takes away from uh, what I'm talking about. And I kept the audio on for the War Games match for commentary because I thought it added more to the match. get to when I start my regular um, discussion where it goes from November I want to I want to do I'm gonna go back to uh, 
I go back to the year 1997, and I was, I spoke about Royal Rumble 97, spoke about In Your House Final Four 1997, even spoke about the Raw, Raw is War episode where, um, where Psycho Sid beat Bret Hart in a cage match to keep the WWE title on Raw. Talk, spoke about that. So, after doing this episode, I'll go back to talking about beginning of uh, 97. I'll try to continue. I'll try to continue talking. Um, but I know that it's not regular timeline, so first I'll go to Jen, to, um, man, I wish I would have done this earlier. I'll mix in both War Games DVD with the, um, with my regular discussion. Um, so, after I talk about this, the rest of this pay-per-view, hopefully, even if I have to do two separate videos about this, um, after continue talking about this, finish this talk, I'll talk about, um, okay, I did talk on one, um, Launchpad, uh, a launchpad, when I, I used Behind the Story on Launchpad already, but I used it separately, so, that's why I have to go according to the Apple Podcast episodes, because, um, that one is about the, because that one has a totally different picture on it, so, I already spoke in 98, about the Giant wanting to face Kevin Nash at WCW Sold Out '98, and how he almost, and how if he hit Kevin Nash, he would forfeit the match altogether and pay a fine more than he made probably. And aside from that, I would talk about built the Royal Rumble match or. The things leading into it now. I'm talking about the Royal Rumble pay-per-view from '97. Okay. Only thing I like to really talk about usually the backstage interviews. So that I will take um, sound off of. Speaking of survival, 
just like to talk like that. Chevron comes out first. Well, when I think about this, it um, it actually, I remember we I've been for a long, long time. We wouldn't even that my dad wouldn't even put it on TV. WWF wrestling. But there was one night in particular where, I think this was about a year after this, or two years after this, where Shawn Michaels was the champion. Um, and so it was probably a few months after this. Shawn Michaels was the champion. He had a trimmed beard and a mustache. Both of them were trimmed. And street clothes... He did something to get Ken Shamrock mad, so he just grabbed him and he just would not let go of the ankle lock. And what I remember about it was the face Shawn Michaels made. Because I, I had never seen him make a face like this before. So when I heard in real life interviews how Shawn Michaels, by the way, second person to come out was Ahmed Johnson and the Road Warriors. When I saw, when I heard how he, um, you have to take this for the grain I saw because it's Jim Cornette talking, but when you hear how he just could, how he's never won a real fight, and the first fight was on, actually all the fights were unfair, because only, only one fight, because first fight he was drunk, second fight I can remember vividly was unfair because both men were bigger than him. So you cannot, so you can't really look at that, but based off of his attitude, he didn't really, he never acted tough, so that's why Cornette, um, it was easy for him to laugh at Sean because he never acted tough. But he never spoke up for himself either, so... Because Shawn Michaels did speak up for himself, it makes him tougher than Cornette. That's why I say we can't really take that much for, for anything. But, um, but because Hawk and Animal were as tough as they come in that business, that's why Hawk's story means more. So when I heard Hawk say how he just really acted like what we used to call sissy in the old days. And that really, just the way Hogg described it was really, oh, yeah, he isn't tough in any way. And when I said he was tough enough to speak up, the, my way of saying is that he would get in your face. And, you know, I, I realized that, you know, we're talking about um, getting in the face of Vince McMahon, but... Getting in the face of anybody, it takes a lot of guts because you don't know how they're going to respond. But anyway, when I saw him make that face as a kid, now I know why he made that face. Because nobody was ever that hard with him in the ring before. 
So the fact that he could have broken Shawn Michaels' ankle, or at least that was the perception of it, that shows just how tough he really was at the time. Okay. And the Legion of Doom are the tag team champions. Makes this even more interesting because, um... I'm going to, after the, this goes, I'm going to wait until November again to talk about this. That way it would be within the, the time frame. What I'm not understanding is why this person put word overused on a sign. I, I don't know what, who they're referring to. Survivor Series has always been one of my favorite pay-per-views because I always liked elimination matches. And I guess if people were to ask me, um, even though I don't necessarily love to watch MMA, I will watch it, and the longer the fight goes, the more interesting it is, and I, I think that's, that's why I like it, because it has a lot of the same elements I like of wrestling in the sense that the longer it goes usually goes from boring to exciting to me. The same thing, if a match starts off boring, it builds up to where it, uh, to where it's exciting. And the same thing with MMA. Especially when they start getting, especially if they're able to get a submission attempt. It's really exciting in MMA. So, who starts this fight off? D'Lo Brown and, uh, yeah, Road Warrior Hawk. Lockup once but twice, second time D'Lo gets a side headlock. Thrown to, thrown into the ropes, comes back shoulder block, no effect to Hawk. No effect. I think Hawk's going for a shoulder block himself. Second time, D'Lo goes for one rope, goes for a clothesline, no effect. I mean, ducks the clothesline, then he ducks a chop. I think he runs into a. Swift clothesline. By that, I mean when he goes for a clothesline, Hawk put his arm out so he can knock him down. He kicks Hawk in the midsection, going for, I'm not sure what, pile driver? He should know that's not going to have any effect. Hawk, turn, Hawk catches him. Rude Awakening, neckbreaker. Tags in the rock. Duck, the Hawk ducks that. Kick. Right hand chop, right hand chop, left, right hand run. I think he gets kicked in the neck. Rock bottom. Ooh. I think he looks 
leg, two, three. I don't even think that left shoulder counts. I think he, uh... Yeah, gets eliminated, so... Evo, no. My man gets in there, right hand, another one, another one. Down to the eye, right hand. By uh, the, uh, the rock, reversal by Ahmed Johnson. Elbow to the rock, locks him down. He tags in Kama, I think is his name at the time. Kicks him in the gut and a few right hands, a couple of forearms to the neck. Clothesline after an Irish whip to Ahmed. He gets goes for a clothesline and gets it. He tags in, comma tags in the leader Ron Simmons, who already had a problem with him. Kicks him a couple of times in either the gut, close to the ribs, I think. Picks him up, backbreaker throws him down. Right hand. down on it after that unfair unfair three on one assault by the nation in the corner. He gets uh Ronsman gets Johnson down. Could be going for the original yeah. Going for the original um Dominator finisher. That Lashley used to use as a finisher. Gets out of it altogether. Turns around as Ron Simmons goes for that. Sit down. Um, butterfly suplex. One, two, three. No, now it's evened up. Everybody in the Nation of Domination... But The Rock were seasoned veterans. Yeah, Ron Simmons, I think, started in the late 80s. Um, Kama started in the 80s, definitely. I think um, Elo Brown started in the early 90s. So, by the time he started right here, he was seasoned. So, he knew exactly how to, uh, how to work in the ring as a heel. So the Rock really had to had to really let had to really listen to them in order to learn how to work as a heel. Of course, things are changing, so you don't really know what to call yourself. Goes for that frog splash, gets it on Ahmed Johnson, stands up. Should have just gone for a cover right there. That's a mistake on his part. 
right hands, he's not realizing three. It's not working anymore. That's actually a slap the third time. Goes back to her right hand, not doing anything. Block right there by Ahmed. Right hand. Right hand. Irish whip. Kick into the gut. What is he going for? Gore, sit down gourd buster is what I would call that. Um, tags in the rock. Gets caught with the front spine buster. He's saying it's over, but what's he going for? Trip, hold out. Oh, the kicks. Oh, two, three. He outsmarted Ahmed Johnson by tripping him and holding on to his legs to win kick out while the rock made the cover. Now he's got to run, so Ahmed doesn't uh, kick his butt. That's exactly what he's doing. He's running after him. <laughs> now they're fighting right there. Interesting. Fighting through the entrance ramp. Referee trying to get them to stop. And all comes in. I think he's upset. He's talking to the referee. But it's up to Animal to find a way to eliminate The Rock. Or whoever The Rock tags in. But no, he stays there. Left. Three, four, five, six. Left boots to the midsection. Irish whip. Close lines him in the gut. Slug tags in uh, Ken Shamrock, Irish whip, jumps down, clothesline by Ken Shamrock to the rock after the rock ran over Animal's back, then Irish whip to the rock, drop kick. A lot of people may not know, a lot of people hearing this the first time may not know about Ken Shamrock is that he actually been some time in wrestling before he was in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. As a matter of fact, um, wrestling um, manager, who was also a wrestler himself, Robert Fuller, who was in the WWF as Tennessee Lee earlier in this year. And he might have been Tennessee Lee at this time, I'm not sure. He shared a story on uh, Hannibal.tv of how he almost got arrested because Ken Shamrock was beaten up by uh, or assaulted by the Nasty Boys. So he had to come up with a story to keep himself and probably the rest of them from going to jail. Because Ken Shamrock's wife was the one who told him what had happened. So... Shows how long he's been around. Of course, we didn't hear about him until this time. But this actually is how we even heard of the Ultimate Fighting Championship was because of Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock actually started in that back in about 93 or 94. So it's very interesting to look at it, to look at it in that way. He tags in, comma, does the rock. 
Papa kicked him in the back a couple of times, three to be exact. But he's getting out of there with rights and lefts, and then some kicks of his own was killed. Sh the shamrock used. Kalamut gave him an eye rake and threw him into the cor into the corner ring rope. Then he's choking him with his boot, and he had to let go before the count of five. Let's go, Irish whip. The can jumped. He jumped down, ran over, and made to attack the animal. Was told some of the bathers are rock or Delo. You should have been listening to Delo. Right hand in the, the, the lower abdomen of animal. And face lock, right hand, right forearm. To the back a couple of times, gets him down to a knee, left knee. Hmm. Pick, animal picks him up, throws him down. <laughs> so I couldn't believe it. Yeah, well, onto the rope as he was jumping up and down. Doug to clothesline, but when he comes back, he clotheslines the animal. Animal clotheslines him at the same time. So now they're both down. Belly to back, suplex gets it. Goes for a cover, looks like, to kick out a comma. Now, never seen this. this. is for the first time I ever see it. Um, so... If they wanted to be smart about the booking, by the way, he ran into a knee from Kama after he gave him an Irish whip to the other corner. So, if they wanted to be smart, they would have made this even. Sometimes the fans don't like it when somebody's got too much of an upper hand. Savat kick by, uh... I think that's what they call it. By comma, then headbutt to animal by comma with the right hand. By comma. Irish whip, duck, back, shoulder block, ends on his feet. See. Stomp. Comma gets up to his feet. Body slam by animal after a kick. Cover. One. He could feel D'Lo coming, so he stood up. Gets D'Lo out of there with the right hand. Comma kicks him with the sock. Must look like a Harlem side kick. And while he's getting into his corner, that's not a good idea. Clothesline, roll up. One, two, three. Eliminates Comma. Those getting in there, kick to the stomach, right hand. Irish whip, clothesline by animal. I guess he clo I guess he tagged them. The front drop kick after he clotheslines Elo. Ten left hand, right left, right left, left hand. He must no, that was right and left. Excuse me. Got 
got confused for a second. And then a running clothesline knocks D'Lo down. I think it was a thumb to the eye, then a right hand by D'Lo. D'Lo then tries to knock Animal down. Body slam by uh, ooh, two can by D'Lo. Now that was a good um, distraction move by uh, by D'Lo, elbowing animals so that you come in there and hit. Rocky come in there and hit um, cannon between the legs with the right hand. Now, ha after having a football hit me in between the legs when I was a teenager, I can tell you he had to run away in a cup to act like that's nothing. Um, to kick out by um, Ken Shamrock. Nightmare takedown, two down, leg drop, Adilo, nonchalant cover to kick out, right shoulder up. Uh, rear chin lock, Adilo Brown. Left elbow, left elbow, duck, elbow into the, knee into the gut with shamrock. See, kind of choke can right here, three, four, I think it, that was a five, one, two, three, okay, to count, to get him to break the choke. Going for something here. Uh, backbreaker puts him down. Okay, jumps up for. He wouldn't have made it anyway. He, he before he even before can even moved out the way. Moves over the went missed him about an inch before he even moved out the way. The only thing, only thing that saved him was Shamrock moving out the way. He makes the tag to the rock, and Shamrock makes the tag to Animal. Kick to the gut of Rock. Drop kick by Animal. Drop kick to uh, um, D'Lo. Irish whip. Power slam. Stand up. Here out comes the New Age Outlaws mocking. The, the Road Wars. I think he's they've even got their own um, spikes on. And after he gets clothes on over the top rope and get a load of this, I think at least one of them is is painted up like one of them. The animal's beating up Hogby. Powder's thrown in his face by a Road Dog. Sorry, he's beating up uh, Billy Gunn. Then he got powder thrown in his face, so now, um, 
it's up to Shamrock to win. Or try to win. Galeno, this was an old school match. We know there's no way they'd be able to handle Shamrock because of his experience in both the business and in legitimate fighting. Traditionally, one's supposed to get out the ring and in his corner. Now they have to realize which one of them is willing to take the uh, the beating of their life, <laughs> like Edge said once. By Ken Shamrock. <laughs> I think Dilo was the one who said he would do it. into the gut, right hand, by D'Lo a couple of times, three, Irish whip coming up by D'Lo, close lines, Ken Shamrock, see, forearm to Shamrock's back, I think he's I think he wants D'Lo to finish this match. Now he makes the tag. Okay. Little Irish whip. Duck. Breaks that attempt. Then a double clothesline by Shamrock. Clotheslines. Rocky over the rock over the top rope. He shouldn't have done that. Belly to back. Suplex. No, belly to belly. Suplex. Uh... Not sure, but yeah, D'Lo Brown just submitted some ankle lock, but I don't think he was a legal man. So if The Rock uses this, he's gonna win. Yeah, hit uh, Ken Shamrock with the chair over the back, and if he goes for his finisher, it's gonna be over. Two legs, their shoulder up. So I said he should have hit him with his finisher. Forehead into the corner. Kick, 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 kick. Right hand. Right hand. Right hand. Right hand. I can a couple of right hands by Ken, but a thumb to the eye bite. Rock slows him down. Irish whip reversal. Goes for a right hand. This might be the first time when he did the block and reversal DDT. That he used to always do hook select to kick out. Body slam. Now he could be going for the elbow. 
I don't even know what he called it at this time. Makes it. That should be it. Swag to kick out. The shoulder up. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, Irish whip. Let's put that DDT again. This time, Northern Light Suplex out of it. Out of it. Let's go. Rolls over on his stomach. I don't know this for a fact. But, um, because Jean LaBelle was both a rust professional wrestler and a judo master, he might have taught how to train Ken Shamrock. So I'm thinking, I don't know who trained him, but whoever trained him, trained him the right way. Because he could have very easily tried to win with Northern Light Suplex, but he let go and he rolled over. So whoever, t whoever taught him, taught him right. Somebody said something about a hurricane around here. Uh, let's see. Yeah. He had a Frankensteiner, all right. Sorry. Um, I call Frankensteiner for big men because that was the name of the move that Scott Steiner used to use. And it's just like Farrakhan Rana. When you have a Frankensteiner doing it, when you have a bigger man doing it, you think Frankensteiner. Or at least I do. Shamrock is yelling like he always did. It's almost like a trademark. It goes for the traditional arm bar, but it goes to the ankle lock. I think he just submit. Yeah, he submitted. Won the entire match. It's great. I wasn't, give, I wasn't thinking that. I wasn't expecting him to win. After getting hit in the back with that chair. I don't know why, but instead of having Austin not wrestling, not wrestle, he actually wrestles Owen Hart, obviously, for the, for the title that he is supposed to beat Owen for uh, back in SummerSlam. So they were asking earlier during this match, by the way, they just had an attendance record broke 20,593 at the time hmm, interesting
show something with DX and uh, saying they've done it again, WWF. I'm going to just skip through that. Get to the next match. This is interesting. Usually Steve Austin lets the special sign for him break itself. What does he do? He walks through it this time. Well, he broke it halfway and they just had to take it off. I don't, don't know why it just didn't break like it would at WrestleMania, but that's it's okay. The point was him getting to the ring and I'm going to be honest with you. Um, you would think after, um, because he had so much respect, for, not just for people that were, um, not just for people that came before him, but for people that were such great technicians like Horn Anderson. You'd think he would have paid attention to Orrin Anderson retiring due to a neck injury. On one hand, you can say that it was their decision to show him in the ring. On the other hand, you could say that Steve Austin made a decision letting them show him in the ring. see Steve Austin and I I have no um I in no way I would never try to insult anybody you know meaningly but I have got no um respect for the way Steve Austin got over. I have got no respect for his attitude about it. I just have respect for what he was willing to do for the fans. In many ways, in many ways, he, uh, himself and Goldust, both of them, were what made the Attitude Era so popular. The Rock, too, made it popular, but at the same time, the Attitude Era was what helped make The Rock. It was a very interesting, but also sad time, especially for people who like the, love the traditional style of the business. It was a great time for fans because everybody was talking about it, but the reason they're talking about it is what was sad about it. He flipping people off instead of just, you know, instead of just fighting like the way the business was in the old days. He had to resort to that. Then you're messing a lot, as a matter of fact. I mean, take all these guys with charisma, like, 
Sting, uh, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. The way they got over was just by being, just using simple, everyday life words. So, the fact that Steve Austin couldn't think of doing that, the fact that he just went by using words to use out of anger is what really disappoints me about the person. What he was willing to do, you know, like, say once and I'll say it again. It's not a knock on him, it's a knock on the entire, um, it's a knock on the way they, on the vision of the company at the time. When all he could just do is, all he, all he has to do is just have a I don't care attitude and he doesn't have to curse, but that's all he did. You know, I realize he had a lot of anger and stuff like that, but you don't have to show it. Matter of fact, that was the problem with people like The Rock and Steve Austin is, they're doing the most unnecessary things just to make money. That business is all about storytelling. So some may think it's more about it tells more of a story to talk the way they talk, and in reality, it doesn't tell. It actually takes away from the story. It takes more of a story. To, uh, to just go out there and just the way you fight and the way you come back and the, everything in between tells a story, not the words. The words can help build, can help build up a match, but they don't tell the story. The match tells the story. This. So. I just realized this reason it's Owen Hart with the title is because after he hurt his neck in the middle of their title match they put out an entire tournament for it and Owen Hart ended up winning it. And because they were, he was Steve Austin was so over at this time they had to continue showing him and he decided to continue this uh, quote feud by um by assaulting him after he won the uh, the right to face, the right to go to the finals of the tournament. And then, of course, everybody knows about him beating up Vince when Vince was trying to reason with him. So don't have to mention that. Anvil tries to give an unfair advantage to Owen by getting in there. He gets hit with a, a stunner, and then Owen starts. Rights everywhere. Forearm even to the to the back. Period. Then pulls him across the rope, where I'm sure it burns like heck. Right hand, right hand, right hand, right hand, right hand. First to the gut, then to the face. Irish whip, reversal by Owen. Kick. No, no, not, not that again. Back.
Jack Value Trout to Austin to get out of the attempted pile driver. Owen rolls out the ring right away. He trips him to go after the knee. He does it a couple of times, and if you remember, this was his first. This was the same move that helped him get an advantage over Brett back at WrestleMania 10. Ooh. He wasn't paying attention, so he got pulled right into the corner posed by, uh, by Steve Austin. Owen's walking like he's about to uh, exit the exit the ringside area. Austin runs after him, clotheslines him. Yeah, he just challenged somebody to come down there and fight him, and he throws Owen into the guardrail. He eats him into the gut on the way to the ring. He holds on to the strap of his tights. A few right hands. Let's see. Throws Owen into the ring. Holds back in there, and Owen's about to freeze. Rolls out the ring. Uh... And as he goes after Owen outside, Owen hits him in between the legs with his leg. Okay, but however they broke the table earlier, he just throws, he goes down with Austin, puts his face against the against the table that's already broken, right hand into the gut, forehand, forearm over the back of uh, Austin. Goes for one of the cables. Now they don't have these anymore, so you don't see this a lot. But I think he breaks this before five, but he's using the cables to uh, weaken them. Yeah, he broke before five. Referee's telling him not to go that far. Real skull file. Okay, a couple of kicks to the stomach, then he uses his foot to choke him. Broke, breaks that three. The one that gets disqualified. Won't get disqualified. No, he's about to, he gives him an eye rake when he's in the corner. The forearm to the back and a couple of right hands. Three right hands, then a kick to the stomach, closer to the midsection. Dug to the eye by Austin. Throws him into the corner. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Stomps. More like a stomp than a kick. And another one than an Irish flip. Goes. This looks like the same sequence from uh, SummerSlam, only gives him a thumb to the eye. And uh, it looks like he's about to go for Stunner. Gets it. One, two, Three wins back the title. That's good. I mean, that's not good. Um, I mean, that's not good if you don't like Austin, but it's good for him because he's supposed to win it the first time. Stunner to one to one of their friends, and another stunner comes up. Three three stunners in a row. 
Furnace and Afan are their names. You know, I do have to be honest about this. One thing I always wondered was, okay, he didn't get the WWF or WWE title. Um, he didn't win that until um, WrestleMania 14. So I'm wondering what he did after this. So said I, w I would um, wait until November, but I'll just. I'll just continue looking at this. And then, then November, I'll look at Survivor Series 98. Then, so that's what I'll do. Keep on looking at this from December all the way on. So I can have an idea, so I'll know what he, um, What kind of a job he did with the title. Like, did he defend it at Royal Rumble? Was he in the Royal Rumble match? Because I don't remember if he was or not. Go back to WrestleMania 13.
Okay, I remember they went through the uh, introductions and everything for about 15 minutes. Vince uh, kept on telling Brett, get this in the ring, get this in the ring. And I was just watching this um, topic um, on Dark Side of the Ring where... Bret Hart said that, or they, Jim Cornette said that, and probably Vince Russo, that every um, finish that they brought to Bret, there's about 15 of them, 15 ideas were brought to them, and he said no to every one. And I don't know why they didn't. I don't remember why they didn't tell Bret Hart about this, but he refused to lose to Shawn Michaels, period. And Bret Hart had said and the story about himself versus Shawn Michaels, he told them that, uh, he told Jim Ross and Shawn Michaels that this full story was that about think about a week or two weeks before they faced each other he looked at Shawn Michaels in the face and said I've got no problem putting you over well Shawn Michaels um being how he has always been he told Brett I appreciate that but I'm going to tell you I'm not willing to do the same for you and Brett, with the amount of pride he has, went to Vince and he said, he, I, he told him about what happened and he told him, if he doesn't have that much respect for me to put me over like I'm willing to put him over, then I don't want to lose to him. And that's why, and he even went so far as to say, I want him to, sh to show me the show to prove to me that he has respect for me enough to lose to me. So I think he wanted him to I think he wanted Sean to lose to him before they even got to Survivor Series and Sean said no. So that's why he went with this. Bret Hart I think the reason Vince didn't even bring this to Bret Hart's attention this idea was because he um refuse it. Jim Cornette, now Vince Russo claimed he came up with this idea himself, putting the sharpshooter on Brett. I have a hard time believing anything Vince Russo says because it's usually it's usually um, I don't want to say a lie 
but it's it usually is a lot different than what it turns out to be. So this so I'll share side of Cornet shared because it makes more sense. He looked at Vince McMahon, the twenty seven dark side of the ring. He said to Vince McMahon, "Do what you want. It's your title." And Vince said, "What would you do if you were me?" See, being the historian that he is, he brought up another incident in Montreal, Canada, where this man was known for pretending to fight his opponents, and he, somehow they would make it look like he would really hurt them, but he didn't really hurt them. Well, anyway, he had a maneuver that was used on him by his opponent. He said that's how he said he came up with the idea of doing it to Bret Hart. And it was perfect. So, after getting him in there, um, I actually want to see how long it took them to get him into the ring so I could say the rest. taken them about just 10 minutes to get through the entire match. And, um... Okay. Definitely took them about 10 minutes to get in the ring. Um... I didn't want to talk about the fighting outside because the entering part I thought more important and since they spent so many minutes out of the ring, that's why I thought it would be more important to talk about the entering part. Okay. Let's see. Doesn't throw him in the ring and he's actually he's got the Canadian flag in his hand. I guess he's going to use it as a weapon to choke uh, Michaels with. Let's see. There's one fan in the audience that loved the NWO. So he said how Bret Hart and the NWO were just too sweet. Throws the flag out and goes for a standing leg drop. Picks up Michaels for an inverted, um, say it's inverted, um, because there's two, um, atomic drops. One is when your opponent's standing to you face to face, and the other one is when you hit your knee into their behind. So that's why I said this was, like, inverted. Yeah, they used to call this inverted atomic drop. Irish whip to Shawn Michaels, he comes back with the forearm. Then the hip up, I think they call it. See, I think he just kicked them in the forehead.
to uh, Bret Hart. The face. And he uses the flag against Fred the way he used it against him first. Knowing how hated he already was by the fans, he decided to use the DX uh, insult. Then he goes for the diving fist drop. Goes for the DX chop. Let me say that before he went for that uh, fist drop. Now he just fussed it at the fans. I don't care how much control he was in, in in the match. That's not a good idea for anybody. Puts his head forward against the turnbuckle pad. Throws him through the middle rope again. Okay, we got 10 minutes before the show. 10 minutes plus before the show ends. Before this video ends. So, uh, let's just okay, right into the face a couple of times. Let's see. What else? Somebody said something that just didn't make sense. The European title says not at stake. Okay. Uh, I think Shawn Michaels may have been the European champion or training to become one or something. I'm not sure. Sure, so that's how they said it's not the title on the line here. So maybe he came out as the European champion. No, he was. I remember now. He was champion of the Europe. Because. Um. I recall when he grabbed the title, he had two, he had two titles in his hand. Okay. He stomped at a Bret Hart in the back of the head on the still steps where the top was gone. So that's the part that could have been even harder. He broke, breaks the uh, flag and has to use the broken stick to you as a weapon against Grant Hart as he jumps off the apron. Let's see what goes for. Let's see. into the guardrail again. Uh, actually, it's just the right hand and the forehead. Throws him back in the ring. Could we go middle rope to the top rope? Uh, let's see. Back handle gets it. Right there, it looked like he aimed for the uh, rotator cuff. 
wonder why he would go, why he would do that. Because we're from face law, gets him straight down on the mat. Like a submission hold almost. found interesting is how they would always use front face slug, especially when they were face down, when they would always jump up with their legs and come down. And I'm, I have to be honest, I really don't understand why they do that. It's like I understand it's part of the business, but I don't know the psychology behind it. But I'm sure if you, uh, if you look it up on Wikipedia, they have a whole section on that. But if I was to guess what the purpose is, Bali, he stands up, slowly letting Greg get to his feet. Um, if I was to guess, I'd say that it's to put his pressure from him. Um, I think it was... It's, uh, okay, when you do a, when you stand, when you keep your body up, they, when you have your opponents up in midair, the blood rushes to their head. But when you, but when they're down and, and you're down and you come up and come down with them, that might add pressure to, to them and the pressure added may make it harder for them to, hold on. So I think that's why they do it. In other words, it might help. This, the perception could be that it makes it harder for them to keep going if they don't get out of it. Let's see what Brett... I don't know why Brett just didn't go for, from, for a back body drop, but he, he finally is able to throw him across the ring to get out of it. He's going to go for something, uh, starts working on the leg. By the way, before I continue this, you can even go for leg, head scissors, no, scissors around the leg. Till he gets an eye rake from Sean's break. By the way, the decision, they, the predetermined finish they agreed on, was a disqualification loss for Brad Hart. So, I'm not really sure how they agreed to that, but I did see in a Brad Hart documentary that he specifically said, I think if I go out there and get um, disqualified, then It'll make the fans happy and I can walk out with any of them being disappointed. Joined by Sean, kicked by Brett to Sean in the face, kicked to the knee, another, I think that's the knee that was injured earlier in the year. Pulled into the corner turnbuckle, he has to hold on to the rope so he won't fall. Body slam. 
Universal Collect to kick out by Shawn Michaels. Crossbody Prince, by the way. I used to read this a lot. It wasn't just crossbody, but a body press. Because it was in the corner against Brad. He gets kicked in that bad leg, knee, several times. They just try to pull him across the ring post. Boom. Throw slap. Puts him knee across really quick. He goes for the. Goes for his fancied corner figure four across the corner post. Last time I saw this in recent memory was when Gail Kim, another Canadian, used it in TNA against another Canadian, Angelina Love, I believe. Okay, Brad just said go, so he... in the ring is doing here and um speculating if I was to speculate I would say that they probably agreed to a specific time for their disqualification and that's probably why it just continued because you probably knew it wasn't time yet They just hit him with the right hand to the back of to the ACL. I've never seen that before either. <laughs> and I don't see why the referee is counting. There's nothing illegal about setting up the referee the uh the opponent's leg for a submission like Red Art is doing. in the middle of the ring he's going for a figure four okay <clears throat> excuse me Surprise, Sean hasn't tried the old-fashioned, yeah, he's going for it now, the old-fashioned reversal, we put your arm up to try to turn it, and smartest thing I've ever seen is when they hold on to the legs so they won't um, roll over, that's really smart. Shawn Michaels being in the role of bad guy in the match. By the way, he did finally rolled it over on Brett. Surprised he didn't try to go for an illegal thumb to the eye or the eye rake to break it. For all these years watching the figure, watching rustling and the figure four being put on. Perfect, um, the perfect that I can think of <clears throat> Excuse me. Non-illegal maneuver to get out of that would be an eye rake. 
say that because when people usually use it, the referee doesn't usually warn them. So that's why I say it's not illegal. That I know of. Brad gets to the rope and Earl Hebner, the referee, tells Sean to break it. Sean's still able to go for that twirling alley he did in the car. A side Russian leg sweep by Bernhardt. Cover to right shoulder up by uh, Sean. He just went for that. But he used to do this all the time, too. Picks up his legs and goes for a headbutt into the abdomen. Um, front face lock. Now, I don't think that's illegal any more than, uh, saying going for, um, an eye rig, but the referee used to always tell him something like that. Maybe if we could, if I could, uh, say something a referee could say if it was real life or make it look like he's saying would be something like don't do that don't don't do that it um it looks too close to in between the legs it's like a vertical suplex cover to kick out goes for knee back over the knee could be called a backbreaker. Going out there to get on the top rope. Uh, I think he just hit the referee by mistake. I think the referee just pulled into Brent and um, I think Brent hit the referee by mistake. Because he already knew the finish, he could disqualify John. I rake to Brent. And this is when he, this when the finish happens right here. And Brent had to tell him how to do it the right way. Turns it over on him. Calls for the bell right away. And then all of a sudden, when he goes to grab the bell, he realizes, goes to grab his leg, he realizes what's happened, and there's nothing you can do about it. Just hear the audio of this. Sorry, it wasn't two bells, it was just one, but one bell. Here's Gerald Briscoe 
Trying to rush into the back, couldn't feel it. So everything that happened, everything that happened after this, with the um, monitors being thrown down and everything, by Bret Hart and Bret Hart spitting in uh, Vince McMahon's face and Vince having to pull it off his face and everything, because it's close to his eye, if not in his eye, all that happened after the show went off the air, that's interesting. Um, November 10th would be the next draw. By this time, I think, um, I think by this time they already, um, started, um, what we would call their opinion, uh, Jim Cornette's opinion pieces. Um, so that would be something to look at. First, looking through it, I I really don't know. Um, they had a. What's interesting was I think Jim Ross had three separate interviews um, segments in this raw episode. Like, you start off with him interviewing Goldust, then, um, then he, um, interviewed C. Blackman, then he sat down and did an interview with Jeff Jarrett that was pre-recorded. And as far as the other stories who Michael Cole interviewed for the show, he interviewed Blackjack Bradshaw. Um, then he interviewed Stone Cold Steve Austin. Then he interviewed Butterbean, which he could have been there because they, because they wanted to use Matt WrestleMania, I believe. So, as I'll play, press play for this, I'm more curious as to, more curious as to, um, how they start as to when they had an interview segment for uh, for Jim Ross and uh, Vince McMahon because it was a sit down interview it was not face to face it was not standing up in the ring it was at a desk of some kind that's what I'm curious about Okay, that should come up in, um, about, that should come up in, like, say, Danny Watching. Okay, so November 17th, by the way, is my grand, 
because that's my it's my grandmother's birthday or birth date and that's the next show to look at Okay, so it was the second, it was the raw, um, it was November 17th's raw, okay. So, I'll look at both these episodes, um, watch this, um, watch this later on um tomorrow's the Super Bowl so I'll uh wait until at least Monday afternoon Triple H actually went against Ken Shamrock during this show but I don't know Take what happened. So, uh, gotta skip ahead the first scene. Okay. Okay. Interesting enough that it, it took two minutes and thirty seconds for. There's the new show to start. So, stop right here. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. Ooh. Hello, this is Daniel Mayon. I don't, I don't know what happened, but when I, I guess I pressed the... As I pressed the screen, I wasn't supposed to, so I couldn't see the, um, I couldn't see the screen, so I didn't know if I was still recording, that's why it took so long to start talking. Um, I wrote this, um, note, I wrote this note, or I typed this note on Inkpad, the talk about how internet shows could be the future of wrestling character development. And um I was get I was advised not to talk about current shows, but this is more like character development than what's going on on the shows. So I just thought that that would be an interesting thing to talk about. So I just thought I'd write it down and talk about it. And, um, um, it's understandable with all the talent that WWE has signed and with, um, three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, and one hour of NXT, I'm sure it can be hard to really build, char build the characters that are not being used. Um, in the, 
before I get to my main point, my first point of this, <clears throat> before I get to that, let me let me talk about how in the the red the sec the second develop no the third developmental territory that they used in the WWE FCW when they when their women were not ready to be used in the ring that oftentimes they would put a tiara on their head and they would um they would just walk they would just walk around they may cut they may have been able to be to speak but to cut promos and do interviews but they were not their role was just to um to be like the queen they were called the queen of FCW and really to be honest about it i think that that was just to help them learn how to act before they were ready to be in the ring and but i think there's they are so far past that with the women that <clears throat> that's why <clears throat> so many of them they are when they go from Performance Center to NXT, they just go straight into the ring. Because they're so far beyond them learning because most of them already have experience in the ring. So, from the Indies. So, what I think, this is just me, this is just me talking as a fan. If I would, if they were to ask a fan how do you think we should um, we should use our trainees in performance center? Well, it I know that this may not be seen as the most original thing because their biggest competitor right now is already doing this, but the before, but in the before NXT, during the last years of FCW, former WWE superstar Matt Cardona, when he was Zack Ryder, he he launched his own YouTube channel YouTube series called Long Island Iced Z and the interesting thing about that was that not only did he use that YouTube series to get himself over with the audience because that's, that's actually how he was able to stay relevant when they weren't pushing him but he was able to use that to not only let them know what was going on in his life, but he would at times um, share what his th his favorite matches from his favorite um, superstars from when he was a kid, and he he even.
even said, maybe that's what I should do. I remember he did that once. And he he meant, he said, maybe, he talked about Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Maybe what he needs to do is get himself a, fee, a female manager like, um, like Ted did. And the problem with that is that Sherry was just that, a manager. Today, um, they like to have, um, and I know this, this doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about, but I just thought I would mention that as to why, why something, why he never went past, this is really sad when you think about it, as much talent as he has. When he was in ECW, then he went to the main roster. He never got really got past having um, Rosa Mendez as a manager slash girlfriend in character. He never got past that, and the problem with having a manager today, a female manager, is that they're not seen as manager. They're not seen. In the same way, it's like if if you have a female manager, but they're not pretending to be, but they're not portraying your girlfriend, then the it's like the fans will pay attention. So that that's why that's how you know something needs to, as far as perception goes, something needs to be changed because. You have all a bunch of women that have all a bunch of talent in the right way, and you know they can talk, and they they definitely have the ability to help make um, their stars better. The only time when Rosa Mendez was a true manager was when they put her with Tamina and uh, Alicia Fox for a short time. So, when you look back at that, looking back at that, that actually, I think that does help the point I want to make here. Because you knew from his YouTube channel, from his YouTube show, you knew the type of, um, personality he had. You even knew what he liked as a fan, and... The problem with the problem with that was that I believe was that they like to create their own characters instead of have their characters be organic and you can't do that in wrestling because wrestling is um I'm really a lot of times struggle with finding words when I talk. The best way I could describe wrestling is it's a um it is the most unique form of entertainment because it has for, it has drama in it because that's what creates matches. It has it has um, matches takes you have to be at least in the old days it take took athleticism so it's it's a variety it's not only a variety show it's. Yeah, there's a lot of vari- variables 
to making it work. And you, the variables are, not only do you have to have charisma to a degree, sometimes, and you're even expected to talk, but if you have trouble talking, that is what the purpose of having a manager is for. Now, Matt Cardona didn't need a manager, he just needed WWE to take the reins off. And that was the biggest, that's their biggest problem is they don't know how to do that because the person who makes the final decision is a control freak. So that's why, that's why he needs to step down because when your son-in-law is running the, the um, when your son-in-law is running what used to be called developmental, when your son is running that better than your son-in-law, that is, is running that better than you're running your, running the big, the big stage, something's wrong. So, getting to another point I would make is, about two or three years ago, when I started watching New Japan Pro Wrestling, which, by the way, if anybody has... Roku TV. Um, Philips Roku TV. Then every Thursday, about four o'clock, about four o'clock in the United States, there's one channel during the Roku live TV channel of Roku. There's one channel that's going to start airing New Japan. So, if, so um, if you are a fan of AEW, and if you're a fan of, no, just AEW, if you're a fan of AEW, then you should, then you need to check that out. If you don't, if you aren't subscribed to the New Japan Pro Wrestling World's um, service, streaming service, then then you need to watch the one-hour shows, and it starts on, it starts tomorrow, no, not tomorrow, tomorrow's Wednesday, no, tomorrow's Tuesday, this Thursday, um, New Japan Pro Wrestling starts airing on one of the live channels, one of the TV channels on Roku, that airs live shows. During one of those channels live um, airings, I'm gonna, during the hour of four, during the hours of four and five, they're going to air New Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling. And that's really good now because Kenta from New Japan came to AEW to go against Jon Moxley. And if John Mock, and if they're going to do it, I think they're going to do, we'll get to see the New Japan um, IWGP US title be defended this Wednesday night on, um, on Dynamite. So, that's what I'm looking forward to. But anyway, Being the Elite was a YouTube channel, YouTube show, started by... 
the Matt and Nick Jackson where they they would just record themselves on YouTube promoting the shows in New Japan and the other um, places that they had independent bookings at. And from the reason I say this is the future of wrestling development for characters is because that's how we got AEW is from the is from being the elite. They kept on saying we want to change the world, we want to change the world. Or should I add wrestling world because that's really what they meant. And finally Tony Khan came to them and asked them, "Are you really serious about this?" And they said, "Yes, we are." And that's ever since then they've had they put in the work to have AEW started and then Dynamite was added and the paper, the gradual pay-per-views were restarted and the smartest thing they did was doing pay-per-views every now and then instead of every month. As a matter of fact, when you look at the history of the WWE when they were called the World Wrestling Federation... When you look at how they started their pay-per-view schedule, it was not every month. It was four times a year. So that's so when I look at the how pay-per-views were started, and then when you look at the original, the people who create, who gave birth to wrestling pay-per-views, that would be the Crockett family. When they in, when they created Starcade, only supposed to be once a year, and just like WWF went from WrestleMania to having two pay per views, and then they did like say, after several years they did like three or four a year, and they were smart about it. Well, NWA was smart too because after two or three years. They added the Great American Bash. They didn't do, um, they didn't do pay a lot of pay per views until they were bought out by um, WCW, not WCW, um, TBS, and TBS, um, or should I say the the Turner promotion. When Ted Turner bought it, bought into the company. Now they were not able to draw the crowds because they didn't know the business. But with all the money they had and knowing production like they did, they did their hardest. Drives me mad. They didn't do great. They didn't do great um, production for pay per views or even TV shows, but. It's such great talent that I think it comp overcom. I think that's how. I think the talent is what overcompensated for the lack of ability for selling tickets, because it the reason they couldn't sell tickets was not the um, was not the talent. 
Because in those days, you went by how you spoke and how you worked in the ring. And none of that was hard. It was not hard to produce talent. Because even though they didn't know how to market, they didn't know how to market their talent even before Crockett, even before Crockett's had to sell, the Crockett's didn't know how to market their talent. Like Vince McMahon did. That's a big part of why they couldn't stay in business. And then, um, so, that was a big blow to them. But when they only offered four pay-per-views a year, that's why they, when they, that was the only smart thing they did. And... Get back to my point. They went from having... Okay, I don't even know if they even do being the elite anymore since doing AEW. What they did that was really interesting and I have not really seen a lot of uh, Brandy Rhodes' um, YouTube show which she... Might have stopped since getting pregnant for the first time. But, um... What I did do was I read how... The big... Possibly the second... Biggest hill in the company, because he's the biggest jerk in the company... Is MJF. When I read him talk about his life as a kid and how arrogant he was... Well, then that's how you know that. Why he is the way he is is he really believes, he really, his head really is far into his behind that he, that he, how else is he going to act? But to act like a jerk is to act like a jackass. <laughs> because it's what he is. So, when you, and then when you see um, guys like, um, Guys like John Moxley, um, I really don't know all the people that that showed up on our YouTube uh, show, but even Orange Cassidy. When you see Orange Cassidy, I didn't even see the full show, I just heard him talk. When you see how he, um, how he spoke to her, you can see why he's quiet. It brings me back to how Sting actually... Sting was already over by the time he became Crow Sting. But we were in a... He was in a place where it was... his. He would not be able to keep building on his uh, popularity... If, uh, if the NWO kept on assaulting him week after week. So... When he could not get through to Eric Bischoff that something needed to change. Fortunately for him, Scott Hall told him. Scott Hall told him about the Crow um, novel slash movie. Because I think it was made around the same time. And it's like everything after that just started to fall into place. Because not only did he have... 
direction of where to bring his character, but he he shared in um the second Sting DVD when he was preparing to face Triple H at WrestleMania. He shared in that DVD talking about his talking everything and the reason why the crow sting worked besides the fact that he had so much charisma the reason that worked was because he always wanted to be quiet because he knew I think he knew even when he started that because he's around so many people that can talk better than him and actually knew how to talk he knew, I think he was smart enough to know the more I'm quiet and just let the people around me talk I can learn how to be better and it worked for the same reason that it works for Orange Cassidy is because he just has that personality where you the way he carries himself the way he acts you just want to see him because the, say, the same thing that draws you to him is the same thing that people like MJF in character when he was on when he's on TV he says it's insulting the way Orange Cassidy acts but the way I see it is that he's very it's all about individuality and when you look at AEW everybody is different so I think that's the smartest thing for Orange Cassidy to do is to just be quiet because he is very because he is already unique so when you see all these people just talk and talk and talk Whereas all he has to do is just walk around and just act like he doesn't give a you-know-what about anything. And just be like, whatever. And he, he's actually said that. He's actually written that down for, uh, for Justin Roberts to say. So, <laughs> when you see somebody like that and you see how he works in the ring, you're like, well... Why would we want to... Why would we have a problem with him not talking when his in-ring work... Um, his in-ring work is so outstanding. It's like, what else, what else do we need to know? And I think that's... And I think that's an even bigger reason why um, Sting was so popular being quiet was... It wasn't because the business was changing. And, you know, Sting's character did not speak of rebellion the way that The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin spoke. Their characters are flat out just rebellious characters. So you know that it wasn't based on, on rebellion or anything like that. It was just based off of the fact that he was mysterious and when things are a mystery it makes you more interesting and the people want to say what they will but I have to be honest 
The Rock was not interesting like Sting. Stone Cold was not interesting like Sting. They they just appealed to the teenagers because they said and acted however they want to, and their attitude was shut the f up. And it's like, why would I'm I was when I was a teenager, I never once found that appealing. Because I knew if I if I dared have that attitude with my father, I'd be on the floor. So obviously that's what the teenagers were missing in the Attitude Era and in the Ruthless Aggression Era. What teenagers were missing was a father to just slap them across the face and say, don't look at, don't act that way with me. That's what was missing. Was fathers not being around to slap sins into the kids. So, not only did it help, did that help us understand why and that show help us understand why why MJF is such a butt, but it helps us um but it helped us get to know more about somebody like John Moxley and maybe even Chris Jericho for that matter. Once again, somebody we didn't even need to know more about because we knew enough about him between WCW and WWF. So that's why I think that's why I think um, using a using a YouTube series, not of them wrestling, but them just talking about their lives, is very. Um, is a very important way to develop their characters and it just so happens in the Attitude Era that's how most characters got developed also. With people just sitting down talking and sometimes new characters are born out of that like in a Mick Foley had said that um, no matter how many times um, Jim Ross interviewed him, did a sit-down interview with Mankind, it would just be more confusing and you couldn't understand what a what his character was about. You didn't you never could understand why he was so deranged. Because no matter what he would say, it would just be like What are you saying? Even his even his words to Jim Ross didn't help there was no there was no substance added, there was no uh, dialogue added that could even help you understand what was going on with him. So finally, um, Vince McMahon said to, um, went to him behind the scenes and said to him, Mick, no matter what we're doing with you, 
we can't get people to understand what your character is about. So you need to be more... You need to find something that's an, an extension of your personality because going forward, everybody's going to have a character that is an extension of their personality. And that's where... That's when Dude Love was born. Um... Dude, Love was actually... I was amazed to find this out. Dude, Love came from something that he thought of when he was... A, when he Before he was even Cactus Jack, he, he created Dude, Love just for fun. So it's, ama- so it's amazing how sometimes we, take, we can take things from our personal life and um, when I say us, talk about it's amazing how people just in general need to take things from their um, from their lives from the past, and somehow they it adds to their um, to what they're doing sometimes. Like uh, I may have said this before, I don't know, but podcasting for myself. I've, I never did anything in radio, but as a kid, I remember thinking to myself that some hosting a radio show I thought was something I could do. But I never, there was never really any way to try, there was never any um, radio programs in school or any radio things, programs in town for me to even try radio, try traditional radio. So I'm amazed at how after, okay, I thought about it, but when I was a teenager, I didn't, uh, when I was 15, they stopped offering regular radio for wrestling because when I was a kid, they used to have a radio show for the WWE. And they stopped that when I was about 15. And I actually thought maybe I was dreaming about that because I, because it had been so long ago that when I heard it in a then promote WWF radio on Raw, in the first year, when I heard that on the network, I said, so I wasn't dreaming. So that's what I want to say is how it's amazing how sometimes we do things and then it comes back and we're able to use it. Other times we don't get to do it because there's no option. Now we have an option and we're able to do it. So just a, just looking at that an overall standpoint, how it's amazing how things happen in life. So, just as a fan of being somebody who who actually fantasy books on Reddit, if I was to suggest anything, TNA Impact Wrestling, I just say TNA because that's what, that's actually what I think, I think, um, TNA was such a good 
because of the letters T and A, total nonstop action. I think that um, in a lot of ways, as good as it was to create the slogan "Wrestling Matters" when they put Impact Wrestling, um, the fact they didn't have letters anymore to to define them as a company, I do think it hurt them a lot. <clears throat> anyway, the original TNA days, um, I'm not sure what year it was, but it was right after um, they put James Storm and Bobby Roode together. And they called them Beer Money. And I found out that could have been about 2009 or 2010 when they started that team. Because he and he and Harris started for, they were a team for almost five years. Then after two or three years of being um, split up from Harris, they put he and Root as a as, as a tag team, and they had four or five title reigns together, and. Um, they did Rough Cut. They started a series called Rough Cut, and eventually they ran out of ideas. But something like that, where people share their stories, I think if they would use an idea like that in NXT, where they show their trainees sharing why, they, why they're there, like um, especially for the international stars, who they may not know who they who the fans might not know who might not know who they are. So I believe for people that are not ready to um they may not be ready to have their first match yet because um they may have just started training so it might take them a while to some people are not naturally um, gifted in the ring, so people that may not be ready, I think one way to to develop their characters would be for them to just do like rough cut where they just share their story, but they do it in a way that is like acting to the point that people know this is real life. But this is a character we're seeing being developed. That's what I think they should do. Okay. Um, there's Those are the only really videos I can think of using as an example. So we'll stop it right here and I hope you all like this. Goodbye. Those tight ends in there, both off the board again. Another tight end out of Stanford, drafted into the NFL, going to Pete Carroll, the head coach, and John Schneider. <laughs> and continue to look.